Ooh, back on another one, Dr. Zero Trust Show. Got my buddy Brian Keim from the uh, recovering Forrester analyst world. Now now he's at Zero Fox doing cool things there. If you don't mind, give uh, give the, the few folks that do listen to my bullshit kind of a run through on who you are and what you do. Yeah, so Zero Fox is a threat intelligence company. Our legacy is in like social media and brand protection, but we are building out this just amazing intelligence team and I lead our intelligence strategy and advisory. So I think strategically about how we grow uh, our intelligence practice and doing some customer advisory and stuff like that. And um, being here with my old buddy, Chase, uh, even though he was in the Navy and the army is better than the Navy. Because well, I mean, no, no one grew up playing yeah, Navy. They grew up playing soldier and kind of let you guys talk a little bit and act like you got to bring. We're not bringing any Marines in yet, so that's God. true. That's true. Right. So I mean, I mean I've had you, Air Force guys on, but you know, we haven't. We I, I never had a puddle pirate. Fancy. Yeah. You gave me pirate. grief for having the collared shirt. I'm I'm guessing the Air Force guy like had a sport coat on and. Absolutely, he had just come from the golf course. Yeah. <laughs> So now that we've got the um, making fun of each other's service affiliation out of the way, which is an obligatory thing that has to happen, yes. um, I, I wanted to pick your brain on threat intelligence because you know more about this market than most folks do. I And I'd like to start out with a, uh, a conversation you and I kind of had in the past where I think the majority of what people call intelligence is actually data or junk. Is that a fair <laughs> statement or what's your opinion? Even though I know I'm leading the witness. Yeah, yeah. Very heavily leading me here. Like, yeah, absolutely. You know, we, I define intelligence as an assessment of the intent and capabilities and opportunities of some threat in relation to some stakeholders' intelligence requirements. And just raw data and stuff doesn't really tell me about intent, doesn't really tell me much about a capability. A hash value, an IP address answers very little for me. Right. I'm trying to help my stakeholders improve their decision making, reduce risk and uncertainty. And a data feed has some uses for sure. Um, I consider that something that I would use to make an intelligence assessment. But by itself, you know, it's it's information. It's raw and it needs some processing and it needs a human to figure out what that intent and capability is. Uh, component of the threat assessment is there so yeah so a lot of it is junk i mean it's it's what was the crap in crap out right yeah pretty much if you start with you know poor quality data then you'll have poor quality finished intelligence so collecting you know random things off the internet may have some value but if it lacks context if you get a list of IP addresses from someone, from a, a tweet or someone on LinkedIn or something, even with the government, right? And it's devoid of any type of context. It's not going to help you do much, right? You're going to kind of go on that wild goose chase. So folks are notorious for sharing malicious IP addresses, right? IP addresses are notoriously um, ephemeral and, and they don't last very long. Threats shift their infrastructure constantly. And to be valuable, that I, that list of IP addresses needs to have things like 
time seen, first time seen, last time seen. I need a, a window where activity was observed from that particular IP address. Otherwise, I end up doing what I did at uh, the last company and basically is break Splunk. Uh, not the last company, but two companies ago, right? Last time I was an enterprise threat intel analyst, right? We'd get reports from the government or something the CISO would share. And it was like, go find this. And like, okay, good. So I do my Splunk query, like 10 IP addresses, throw it at that. And then 10 minutes later, I'd usually have someone in the sock yelling at me because I've expended like all CPUs for, right. uh, yeah, for Splunk. Something, something I'm, I'm, I'm basically remote. dossing you know, my, my sock. <laughs> and it's like, well, that's, that's shit. You know, yeah, like, fuck, how man? do I, you know, it, it was, it was painful. And so give me more context about like a single indicator and, and then I can better scope my query. I can actually go and say, Oh, between January 1st and 2nd, 2022, find this IP address on this port, blah, blah, blah. Now I've got something better than I can scope down and I don't waste resources and I have some context, but I still probably need to enrich things, uh, gather more info from other sources before I can really assess whether this is relevant to our threat landscape or not. Is, is threat intelligence only an enterprise problem or is it an everybody problem? And follow on to that, if it's not an everybody problem, like, why does everybody want to be in this friggin' threat intel thing? Like, I mean, companies of like three people are asking me about threat intelligence. I would say actually it is valuable for everybody, but a, a three-person company, a 20-person company, a 100-person company even, the, the company that has one individual that is building a new email box that is, you know, building that new laptop for the new employee is also probably the admin for the EDR and AV and a firewall. And they're doing everything. And really that they're all potential consumers of threat intelligence. The challenge is they just don't have the cycles. And a lot of times they don't have the maturity to really operationalize that threat intel. It's really hard to do. And most enterprises don't do it well that even have a big security team. It's tough. You know, this, this isn't easy. So I've gotten this question over the years and I always wanted to do research uh, when I was at Forrester, but never had the time using a vendor's internal threat intelligence team as a proxy for the efficacy of that company security control. So you look at Microsoft and they have the Microsoft Threat Intel Center or Mystic as they call themselves. And Palo Alto has Unit 42 and Fortinet has their thing and Cisco has Talos and uh, Gigamon has their Threat Insight group and, and Google has, you know, TAG, the Threat Analysis group. And, and so many of these vendors have a Threat Intel capability. They don't sell directly a Threat Intelligence product. There's no skew that a buyer could go and say, I want that but it's baked into their products. And I think that could be a really valuable proxy for the security of the, of the product or the service that you'd be getting from them. But how to even build that research uh, was just, uh, I don't even know how I would accomplish that. <laughs> like, how do I 
how, how do I go and do a wave on that? Right. You know, on something that's not even being sold in the market. Like how do, how would I go to, to customers and say, well, how good is that, you know, yeah. insert vendor threat Intel, right. When no one is paying for it directly. So it's one of those things I would love to have done just the methodology to do that. I think is, I don't know, maybe not there yet. Yeah. But I mean, isn't that, isn't that the, the real value for most businesses that don't have like a dedicated threat Intel capability. Like the thing is mm -hmm. it should just work and you shouldn't have to figure out what the fuck all this stuff means. Like, I don't, yeah. uh, like you said, a company of 20 people, who's the threat Intel guy? Like, so what just do your job. Threat Intel should be part of this thing. Right. We shouldn't have to pay extra for security. Right. I mean, well, sure, but then the whole market dissolves. So, I mean, <laughs> but, 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 I mean the, yeah, the Intel stuff should be in my. I mean, it seems like a lot of it should be built in, like you're talking about Google and yes. Microsoft. Yes, it's it's built in. It's just there, right? Yeah, Instead absolutely. Of, and yeah, essentially, what I, what I was getting at is to serve that small and medium sized business. It's hey, vendor X's threat Intel is exceptional. And therefore, you should always have good signatures and rules and everything in that security product so you don't have to sit there and tune constantly and, and be out there looking for, uh, you know, Chase tweeting about some IP address uh, to go block it, right? You know, you should have a team of experts at the vendor doing that for you. Yeah, and then it goes to, I mean you should be able to get that capability. It shouldn't, I, I think it should just be, it shouldn't, anytime I saw a SKU come up and somebody's like, oh, this is an additional offering. It's like, that's, that's, that's not cool. Like, just make it part of the thing. You wouldn't sell me yeah. a car and go, hey, well, the seatbelt's extra. <laughs> or you might, maybe if it was a Ford, I don't know. I mean, Dodge. <laughs> I was like, you're a Dodge guy, aren't you? Dodge guy, man. Yeah, I love my Dodge. <laughs> yeah. I need another one. I don't know if I ever have any money. I might buy a cool Dodge, but those are those are not cheap. <laughs> yeah, so, and a little bit expanding a little bit on that, you know, with with threat intelligence subscriptions specifically, I, I don't like putting a gate in front of requests for information. So we we create some report on some you know gang like like a, a Revil ransomware uh, as a service gang. And then you to get more information on that, you have to use some kind of credit system, right? I don't, I don't like that. You know, I, I think you're, you're buying Threat Intel, you should have much greater access to the analyst. Um, every RFI is a requirement, and therefore it's something that is of value to that customer. So we elicit more requirements, we can build upon our intelligence service and deliver more value to the customers. And that value is helping them reduce risk and uncertainty. And, and so I, I don't like how a lot of vendors in this field have a gate on, on RFIs. And, and I do have some influence on the pricing at, at the new company. And so we're working on that on, we're rebuilding like the entire Intel service. AJ Nash is like my partner in crime. He's awesome too. And, and he's got a, a big hand in all this. And, and we see the same challenges and directionally we are very aligned at how to grow the Zero Fox intelligence practice and, and make it a premier Intel service out there. And, you know, to, clear, to be clear, you know, I talk about how 
Google, Microsoft, Cisco, Palo, and stuff like that. They have their own internal threat intel teams that serve the products there. You know, the difference for us is, I mean, we're not in your environment. We're, we're external cybersecurity, right? We're in that gray space in between the threat and our customers. And we're looking for abuses of their brand on social media domains. Um, you know, we're looking at, at all that telemetry, passive DNS and stuff that is really outside of their network and adding much more context and helping them uh, protect their customers and their brand. So what we do is, you know, is a little bit different. So I want to be clear that I'm not saying don't do, don't have an external threat intel service, do have one, but use all of your internal data first. And ideally you've got a, a team with your infrastructure and, and your endpoint vendors that's shipping a lot of signatures and rules and stuff and doing a lot of that for you. Otherwise, you know, you can come to us and, and maybe someday my company will start sending, you know, snort rules and EDR rules and things like that as part of our service, but we're not there today. That's a, that's a ways to go. Yeah. I mean, you guys are getting there and I've, I've followed zero Fox for a long time. I think the brand, I, I, I personally think brand defense is super important. I mean, mm -hmm. I, um, I intentionally mess with brands with my deep fakes cause I'm, I'm <laughs> And I have no life, you know, but I just, I think that it's, it's fun to, to do that. Are, are y'all, do you see that as like a viable means of brand manipulation? I mean, is that, or is it just Chase is a dumbass? He likes to make stupid videos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean, you mean, are, are deep fakes a thing that our customers yeah, are concerned about? I mean, uh, you know, I, don't I think, think, I think they are. You can so... really somebody's friend if you did it right, right? Mm-hmm. In general, you know, I have some personal interests and I know there's some interest in uh, the company around disinformation and false narratives and things. And certainly a deep fake would be part of that because I'd, I'd be using that fake to push some kind of narrative about whoever I'm targeting. You know, if you went and mimicked, you know, our CEO for some reason and, you know, you said that Brian's a clown and whatever, you know someone might listen to that and, and take it for real. So th there's some interest there. It's, the ch you know, challenges are, is how do we measure like impact? And, and you making a, a short video, who listens to you? No I one mean, cares. I mean, no offense. You're just Dr. Zero Trust, right? You no know? one gives a shit, yeah. No, no. But if, but if Kim Kardashian West did a deep fake of the same brand, people are going to see that, right? So I'm a big fan of, of Thomas Ridd's book called Active Measures. And one of the lessons I think in Active Measures was a narrative doesn't really get much attention until like mainstream media and, and big personalities pick it up. So there's tons of narratives like just below the surface that are in these fringe media websites and that are passed around Twitter and Slack and Facebook groups and things like that. And it's not until a New York Times writer or a Hollywood celebrity really picks it up that it really gets noticed and starts to have an impact on that brand or that policy or the, or the whatever. Yeah. So do we spend our time tracking every single narrative and try to do some, you know, AI, natural language processing on everything said in some, you know, fringe natural news, organic crunchiness and, you know, or or some right wing thing or left wing thing, you know, where do we focus our energies on? And like, what's the threshold where a brand should pay attention to a narrative? Yeah. It's really hard to do. Um, 
I think it's something that we will consider at some point, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it's hard, hard to measure the impact. And then what do we advise our yeah. customers to do then? Right. One thing that I think we have to be clear about is you risk like a Streisand effect type of thing where you bring more attention to the false narrative by trying to counter the false narrative. And then suddenly it's, you know, Dr. Zero Trust eats babies or something. And and we don't want that, you know, that's not true. But because, you know, you go on Twitter and say, like, I don't eat babies. Like someone's right. like, wait, chasing babies? Yeah. What, what, you know, like, like, I think we have to play those things carefully. And I don't, I know I don't have the answer, like the, the decision tree of say X, you respond this way. If they say Y, you ignore it. Like, I don't know. And I think honestly, a lot of the time, the answer is going to be ignore it and let it go away because the news cycle is kind of quick and, you know, people move on. So, and if the answer is ignore it and move on, why do we need to watch for it? Right. But then there's that one like crisis type of thing. And you're like, Oh shit, we weren't paying attention to these narratives and one got out of hand. So I, I don't have an answer. I know that there, we know there is a problem out there. I don't think anyone's really measured the impact of the problem on private companies. Most of the efforts, the research efforts have been on voters and policymakers and, and foreign affairs and less so on the private companies. But um, I, I know some of the vendors in this space and, and back at, you know, at Forrester days, I had a conversation with one of those vendor CEOs that plays in this disinformation, false narrative, uh, arena. And he was telling me a client of his had come to him after a business decision was made and they went back and forensically, they said, Hey, you made this decision based on, you know, kind of the astroturfing, concept there so they they left the market they left like a billion dollars revenue out because they thought this narrative that they were observing was legitimate and as far as this vendor ceo is concerned like no that was a bs narrative and they didn't need they should not have left that market they should have stayed in it and and so they these things these narratives can have real business decisions can impact you know, employees and consumers and shareholders. So there's a lot of stakeholders involved that, you know, have an interest in um, detecting and managing these false narratives. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I I think I read some paper that, uh, well, I mean, uh, like Elon Musk does it all the time, right? (laughs) I mean, if he has a bad day and he's, tweets that Dogecoin is bullshit, all of a sudden a million people go broke. I mean, that, and then yeah, I, think yeah. it was, I think it was one where Kylie Jenner or one of the Jenner twins or whatever the mm-hmm. hell they are, something negative about a um, some sort of makeup company. And it knocked their stock down by like a, a half a billion dollars or something in a day. Yeah, you know, that's so, my point. Yeah. If you tweeted the yeah. same thing about the makeup company, because obviously yeah. you're heavily we're in makeup, makeup, right? Yeah, we're, we're lots. I'm sure you put some foundation on to make yourself presentable for this podcast. <laughs> you know, if you said it, no one's going to notice, right? But Kylie Jenner tweets out something about a brand and people take notice. And now what does that brand do? Do they go on like a PR assault that, you know, celebrity Y is, is totally incorrect, off base. You know, they don't have all the facts there. What do they do about that? 
do they go on the offensive or do they ignore? Right. I don't think well, there's a playbook for this. And even if you talk to crisis management folks, I don't think they know what to do in every situation. No. Oh, I mean, uh, the Starbucks example was a good one with the whole bathroom thing and whatever else. I mean, they, you know, that they got ahead of it and they got, you know, they kind of, like you said, they dealt with it, but they didn't draw a lot of attention to it. And then it kind of fizzled out. Whereas I think it was Wells Fargo had something not that way, not like stopping somebody from using the bathroom, but something around insider trading or something that, you know, bankers do that whatever. And they, they, they did draw attention to it and it became a really big deal. And all of a sudden, like you said, somebody up at the Capitol Hill was like, we should look at that. Yeah. I, th I think that was the like creating fake accounts or something like that, inflating sales numbers or something like that. Yeah. And, and today we're still talking about Wells Fargo because of that. Right. So they, they did not handle that that very well. Yeah. Well, okay. So you, you said Revil. So I want to, I want to go down that rabbit hole. Cause I mm -hmm. think we think similarly on this, the, the stuff that came out recently about the, the Russians, you know, teamed up and they did the Kumbaya and they, they took down Revil and we, we got them. I, I mean, yeah, they probably got some folks and they probably did, you know, something that looks good on TV, but yeah. um, my personal feeling is this, this doesn't make a lick of fucking difference. I mean, I, cool. I, yeah, I, I agree. Um, some of the reports are implying that the, I think 14 or so folks arrested were not the Revil leadership. They were underlings, you know, maybe mid-level, maybe they're just affiliates, you know, customers of Revil. And I, I just see this as basically a show trial over there. You know, remember the Soviets used to do these show trials. I, I think this is going to be one of those things. Similarly, you know, quick tangent is a Russian intelligence and like incident response firm, Group IV, uh, had their CEO arrested by the FSB, um, I don't know, five, six months ago or so. And it was basically like the sentence was already given out, like before he was even in custody. It was like, hey, you cross some imaginary line. We don't know what it is, but you pissed off someone. And so now like, hey, you're going to come to the sidelines for a couple of months and here's your punishment. You know, that's not exactly, you know, rule of law. And, you know, if the Russians were really serious about combating ransomware, they would extradite these criminals to the United States, to the victim countries, but they're not doing that. They're going to try them in their own courts. And it's just going to be for appearance. It's not going to change anything. And that's naive. And to think that this was a, let's say, I hope that the U S government is not seeing this, these arrests as a, Oh, maybe we're, we chill out about the Ukraine situation and the Russians will arrest more, Criminals. No, like, like I said, they're not serious. Extradite them to the United States. I know we don't have an extradition treaty, but that doesn't stop the FSB from extraditing criminals to the United States. It just doesn't guarantee that someone we want arrested gets extradited. And yeah. And, and so, yeah, the, these arrests, I think that they don't change anything about the war in Ukraine. There already is war in Ukraine. This is not a new invasion coming up. They're already there. They've been there for eight years now. Remember, the Russians shot down a civilian airliner and killed 300-something people in 2014. That was you know, accidental. That was an oopsie. That was a whoops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know how you misinterpret a civilian airliner at 37,000 feet flying in a perfectly straight line with a Ukrainian Air Force jet. Yeah, they look, uh, they're very similar. And it's, yeah, that's how it I, I, I don't, I don't get that. It, it's total, yeah. you know, malfeasance on the Russians' part. Yeah. And I, like, I was uh, talking with some, a couple of other folks that were, um, really running the, you know, the, this is a big deal thing. And my, my point was that you didn't get the, the Pablo Escobar of Revol. Okay. I mean, no, like said, no, they didn't. some poor schmuck that happened to show up on the wrong yeah. day and he was cleaning out the toilets at the Revol camp and yeah. they, you know, he'll wind up in some hellhole in Siberia, but the folks that actually matter, they'll be back. They'll just change the name of the group and start up in exactly. wherever. Yep. That's what they do. They, they change the name. But then very quickly, you know, your threat intel folks, threat hunters and stuff will find the code and be like, oh, yeah, it's 90 percent the old code. Like a couple of tweaks have been made. You know, it's the same toolkit. Right. It's it takes a lot of resources to build new tools, you know, ransomware and whatnot. And, and why, why start from scratch? Right. Yeah. You know, yeah, when I'm this building. model has not this model has been working for a while. Rebrand. Uh, you know, it's like when an apartment complex has like, you know, a, a murder or something and it goes under new management and the apartment complex gets a new name so that when you Google for the, the old, the new name, you don't see the reports about the crime that has happened there before. I'm sure this is, you know, give it a few weeks and Revo will be rebranded and the code will be nearly the same. The, you know, probably many of the same affiliates will sign yeah. on to the new group and, infrastructure and it'll be yeah, those deals where you know, like, oh, there's this new group yeah. that's taking stuff down like what no and, and you know that's only guys. part of they it just right got in a van and left yeah. the office yeah exactly and so you got your your ransomware as a service groups over there revol and and lockbit and colossus and all those uh, groups but then you also have the initial access brokers or network access brokers depending on who you talk to and so there's still the folks that are out there that have discovered like the you know poorly secured rdp and ssh and and all these other remote protocols vnc and whatnot and you know they've got like a directory and and so the affiliate comes in and and they buy the access from one criminal and they buy their tools from the other one so we're only dealing most people are focusing on one side of the equation we're not even dealing spending much time on the on the initial access brokers and you know you need the tools and you need the access and we've, we're focusing a lot on the ransomware as a service folks also need to get these initial access broker forums shut down too and personally it's talked to all these uh uh network owners and be like hey man you need to clean up right <laughs> you know you've got to have multi-factor on your remote desktops and your ssh and whatnot and you when someone leaves a company you know you've got to disable that account right <laughs> you can't have old credentials used to breach the company colonial um mm -hmm. sorry that was sorry, a little that was dusty in here totally yeah I, like i i run um I, I finally broke down and bought into the shodan api so that i can run stuff all the time and get nice. updates like this at lunch i went and looked for uh microsoft windows 7 out of patch, just talking to the internet in the U.S. Get you want to guess how many I found in the U.S.? Just go. I don't ahead. know. I don't know. Seven hundred fifty thousand. Eight hundred and seventy thousand in the U.S. Close. Yeah, so you were pretty close. Like it. That's a I lot mean, of targets right there. Oh my god! If I'm a if I'm a, a ransomware operator, I'm like twisting my you know nipples. Like this is going to be <laughs> easy. I don't. You know, it's it's it 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 just irks the shit out of me that there's so much of these 
what are we going to do and how do we stop this? And it's like the fuck the front doors open. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is what, you know, the, my last report at Forrester that I drafted uh, was on attack service management. And I think that's a real high value emerging capability that really everyone, we talked about the three person company, like you got to start doing this. You know, we, we were calling it hardware and software inventory, you know, critical security controls one and two. And now it's, I think it's going beyond that it has to go beyond that it's not just knowing you have rdp out there but it's what's the exposure of that the weak credentials um uh weak configurations and this you know the 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 attack service problem is not just internal and it's not just external so a lot there's several vendors out there that are you know external attack service management vendors and they're they're trying to solve that shadow IT problem. And and Zerofox, we're building this out too. We already had been doing this a little bit for our customers. And now we're actually building this out into a much bigger uh, platform that will, bigger service that will enumerate everything, including social media profiles um, and really help our customers totally manage their attack service. At least, you know, what we can see from outside. But companies need to be managing it internally too. They have to, you have to look holistically at everything there, you know, because marketers are doing things in the cloud, and accounting is doing things in the cloud, and finance is doing things in the cloud, and that and that poor CIO doesn't know their entire inventory, and they don't understand all the asset dependencies because you have these hybrid and multi-cloud environments, and data is flowing everywhere, and they have privacy and compliance concerns, and so I, I think. While you obviously want to have threat intelligence, so you understand your threat landscape, I think you have to do asset inventory, asset management better. And and I love that there's been a lot of activity in the attack service management space. As as I said with, with Jess Byrne, my co-author on that report, uh, this is really something that you know all folks should do. And you need a program for it. It's not just buy a vendor; it's have a program. It's similar to threat intelligence. You have a program. You have to use your internal data but you can't answer every requirement internally. So you have to have vendors like a zero Fox to help you fully understand your threat landscape. Well, that new attack service management program that enterprises should be building. You need folks to understand your internal network, but then you do need some eyes outside of your network externally looking for all that shadow IT. I've seen it where companies have made acquisitions and didn't fully understand all the assets they were acquiring and you get breaches and things and suddenly you're, oh, I didn't know that was out there. Well, I got to go clean it up and I got to do the data breach notification because I wasn't aware of it because I didn't have someone continuously monitoring for those unknown assets. Yeah. So, I mean, the attack service monitoring, I think is super interesting. Maybe that should be the, uh, the next uh, billion dollar startup is just straight up attack surface management. Well, there are, but now they're getting bought up, right? Yeah, I mean, Palo Alto bought Expanse about I think eighteen months ago, and then this past year, Microsoft acquired Risk IQ, and so Risk IQ does threat intel too, but they also do the attack service management, and that was a emphasis in Microsoft's PR about the acquisition. It was, it was that was the big justification for the acquisition was the attack service management capability. Mandiant acquired a real small attack service management company. They had like six employees called um, 
intrigue, I think is what it was. Um, real small company, but they see the value in it. And um, Record Future just the other day acquired security trails. That's right. And security yeah. trails, you know, was was early in that attack service management thing, but they have, they have lots of great data. And, you know, so we're seeing more and more uh, vendors out there. I think Psycognito is one of the few, like, tax service management kind of only vendors that's still independent out there. And so I'm, I'm, I'm confident they're getting offers pretty frequently. I mean, the, the rate of acquisitions in security, especially around like threat Intel and tax service management has been nuts. I mean, my own company has made three acquisitions. Uh, well, one's announced and, and two are completed in the past like 18 months. And that's, yeah, this is a, a trend that we're going to see, I think for a little bit. Yeah. Well, I like to, um, I always like to wrap up with telling everybody what not to do. There's lots of what to do and <laughs> pontificates on what perfection looks like in your, in your experience and opinion. Like if you're talking to somebody about the stuff that you guys do and what you're good at, like what shouldn't they do? What's the don't do this? So, you know, I'll say it again, use your internal data first to track threats, to track your threat landscape, all right? When you're building your threat intelligence capability, exploit all your internal data first, your firewall logs, your endpoint logs, DNS logs, all that, all that data. You have so much data about threats and that's the most relevant to you, but you can't answer every requirement from your internal data. So you have to go externally, right? And some of those intelligence requirements will be answered in your underground economy, your underground forums. Some folks call it, you know, the deep dark web. I prefer the underground economy, right? The, the dark web. I know, scary. Oh. Scary, man. scary voice, the dark web. Yes. People joke, you know, the dark web is page two of Google results, right? Yeah. yeah the deep the, dark web is page three. On, yeah, the cure for cancer is on page three. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I'm, I don't like that term so much, but, you know, the underground economy. So anywhere where folks are selling tools of capabilities and access, right? You probably have your, your brand probably is being talked about in some of those channels, but even though some of them are easy to access like Facebook and um, some of these lower level forums like hackforums.net and some of these other places, they're easy to get to, but you really, you, you actually do want to leave that to professionals. You do want to come to a vendor that, knows how to collect intelligence in these forums without giving up your requirements, without breaking operational security. It's, it's hilarious when you see someone log on to a forum for the first time and just give away their intel requirement right there. Hey, who's, who's looking to attack Z Dr. Zero Trust? And it's like, oh, hey, new guy, you work for Dr. Yeah. Zero Trust, you know? Hmm. Right. Yeah. They don't understand anything about like building rapport and right. different approaches. You know, it's it's funny to watch or they're just connecting and and or they're connecting straight from the corporate network and just yeah. leaving their their breadcrumbs all over there. Like with their uh, oh, doctorsdotrust.com is in my logs. Yeah. 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 So practice good OPSEC. Um, do find a trusted, you know, intelligence partner that can help you answer these uh, questions that can help you build a threat intel capability that's not just going to sell you a data feed or some BS deep dark web 
collection skew, you know, that's, that's not going to really help you reduce risk and make better decisions, right? Find a vendor that is going to upskill you with threat intelligence. There you have it. So wise words from a guy that knows what he's talking about, covered the market, working at a great company now. I hate to admit it, but he's a smart guy from the army. And that's, that's <laughs> really like the, the taste in my mouth. It's, it's rough, but Brian, <laughs> thanks for, thanks for jumping on. This is fun. Uh, we'll do it again. Yeah. Appreciate you having me chase and you know, no hard feelings, but Hey, people played soldier growing up. They don't play sailor. But you're still my brother. Children do play soldier, right? Children do play. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll be back on another one. Thanks, y'all. Disclaimer, the information in this podcast episode, aka episode, is provided for general information purposes only. By listening to this episode, you understand that this is not specific technical guidance from the host. No information contained in this episode should be construed as security advice from the author, host, or guest, nor is it intended to be a substitute for security advice on any particular subject matter. No listener of this episode should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this episode without seeking the appropriate technical or other professional advice on the particular facts and circumstances that are discussed. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All views expressed therein are those of the host and his guest and should not be considered as being endorsed by nor related to the host or the guest's employers.